This is White Scar's Team Up. I've got Uncivil Outlaw, I've got uh, Nightfall of the Wendigo, and i got Panther Soul left. Mm-hmm. I decide, because I'm still a little burnt out from Steamheart. It was just long. <laughs> and even with my insane ability to swallow books, it took me more than one sitting. <laughs> Do you have any questions about my framing? No. <laughs> I have, well, I have no way to... I have... <laughs> Nothing I could possibly add to. So this. I went from Steam. It was difficult to, to swallow something in one sitting. I yeah yeah absolutely. I went, I went to Nightfall oh, okay. of the Wendigo because Nightfall <laughs> of the Wendigo is relatively short. I announced that I was going to do that. And wait 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 before Uncivil Outlaw. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, just skip right past it and go to Nightfall of the Wendigo, which Alex advised me not to do. That's basically when you did the thing from Archer going, you're not my supervisor. (laughs) No, I didn't even do that. Because you know what I did do? I read the whole book before I saw his post telling me not to read it. Oh, God. I remember that. I remember that. Um, And I do see where he was coming from. Because the opening where we find James... Super fucking confusing if you haven't read Uncivil Outlaw. I mean, just like, you know, I was like, sitting you're here. You're in California? <laughs> I, I was sitting here and I was like, you know what? Like, on the whole, like, Alejandra's reading order is not, like, too out of sync. Like, you know, there's a couple of outliers. But I think that maybe us calling this the chaos reading list is... A little giving her a hard time. And then he's like, so I read Nightfall before Uncivil Outlaw. And I'm like, you mad woman! <laughs> yeah, Nightfall of the Wendigo starts a little weird. I was reading the pre-alteration version. Mm. The, the alteration hasn't happened yet. I think he's actually in the process of still rewriting it in preparation for the audio drama. Okay, I- okay. I've just realized something, and I apologize for interrupting. I'm actually going to say that this is the last time I do it. All three of us have been responsible for one of the books being altered in some way. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) What a fucking, like, narcissistic podcast this is. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, that's what we are. We are absolutely narcissists. He stares around the room at people who are all dealing with anxiety, and it's just like, yep, we're totally narcissists here, aren't we? So I don't know why James is in California. I don't know where Abby is. I don't know necessarily why he's blasting all these portals open, aside from trying to find Abby. Like, and you okay. barely know who Yagana is at this point either. Barely. Yeah, she was in Steamheart, but that's about it. Oh my god. Um, and I'm immediately hooked. Like, for something I have zero context on, I am on board 100% immediately. James is so much more fucking interesting to spend time with in this book. 
Like previously, like anytime we were in James's point of view, his descriptions of stuff was like so like organized and dry and it's perfect writing for his character. This is not an insult, Alex, but that doesn't change the fact that he's boring to hear the thoughts of. <laughs> and I think this is also the point where your opinion on Frank changed. So apparently, Nightfall of the Wendigo is exactly your shit because everyone is fucking unhinged. Yes, exactly. Butler <laughs> is. Again, I never thought of that. I finally like enjoy spending time with Butler because previously, he's a man who's really capable, trying to do his duty. He's going to do everything in his power to do his duty. Okay, good for him. <laughs> I have a question. So, you know that meme where it's the sort of trio of songs of, like, you know, the, so let me be, and, like, you have oh, the right. three characters. <laughs> yeah. Like, I feel like James in Nightfall with the Wendigo is like, I am in misery, or <laughs> Frank Butler. <laughs> who's I occupying the other misery. two? <laughs> like, who's who's doing the, like, you know, Tyler's a virgin boy, don't be nervous? That would be gone. <laughs> no. Uh... <laughs> Who's doing Reese's Puffs? Uh, Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> so out of character. I, I, don't, I, don't think that, I don't think that trio works for that particular... How about movie. Sauna? <laughs> yeah, okay. There you oh, go. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just a little gremlin child going Reese's Puffs. Reese's so I'm way more into Frank and James in this book. Rebecca comes back. I barely even remembered that it was her in Steamheart. Like, yeah. obviously, I remember the bit she played in the book, but I didn't, like, immediately connect it with Let Them Go. Because mm -hmm. that's what happens when you read books so fast. <laughs> Information just kind of washes over you. <laughs> that's fascinating to hear that, like, reading them fast actually didn't necessarily help you connect details from things. Because to, in, for me, I would think it would be that, hey, it's all adjacent to one another. Yeah, you'd think. But again, like... Um, the, the way I read is kind of bad for details. It's absolutely excellent for emotional arcs and, uh -huh. like, where characters end up. Hmm. But I mean, where they've been is a little trickier. <laughs> that's really... Thank you for sharing that. That is really... I don't know why, but that's just really insightful to be able to hear that because... Y'all saw my very detailed, slow-oriented mm. thing, and that's that's sort of how I... It's not how I would read everything or watch everything, but if I know I'm going to be, you know, talking about a piece of media a lot, like, you know, with any of the films I was doing for my thesis or, you know, for the books of New Century, I go through it and I'm, like, literally just sort of noting down things as I go through, and it... It's like I'm sort of putting together that like detail-oriented thing, but it's really cool to see this same story experienced through the polar opposite approach to it. And I'm somewhere in the middle of the two of you because I read faster like Alejandra does, but I keep on stopping in the middle because I worry if I don't make note of certain points that I'm going to forget them later. My uh, my understanding is that it's okay if I miss some details. I'm going to read it again. <laughs> that That is always how I've worked. I, I constantly reread books in order to re-experience them and sometimes notice things that I missed along the way. It doesn't work as well when you're doing a podcast on it. <laughs> and you miss critical details, like the fact 
that Durga tribe does have a leader and in fact has two leaders and I will never stop getting stick for that from Alex. That was the creation of Grex and Tobias in Panther Soul was a reference to the fact I went on an extended tangent being like, why doesn't Durga tribe have a leader? Oh wait, now I'm rereading it. It totally does. What the fuck was I on? <laughs> Caffeine uh, fumes. So Nightfall of the Wendigo is like, it's my third favorite book. Like it's it's exactly what I wanted it to be, because um, I again the deal in Arlington offered by Seth was like really um, intriguing to me, and everything about the Wendigo as like an actual like people and mm-hmm. not just like a monster out there. Mm-hmm. I was falling in love with it, and then we meet Sana and her like uh, second generation of Wendigos who are amazing. We meet their mom, who's so cool. We get to do some more uh, action scenes with Seth. Rebecca's here. It's so good. Krieger and his wife are in a giant birdcage. Did I imagine that? (laughs) Nightfall of the Wendigo is kind of a weird, hazy memory for me because it's in the middle of a number of different books that either... I've read more recently, or there's been audio dramas of the others. So Nightfall, I need to go back and reread, and I'm planning to next. So I'm excited. And we got a new fucking villain. We got fucking mm-hmm. Rasputin. Rasputin, <laughs> <laughs> It is so good. Harry and Penny show up to save the day with flight. Mm-hmm. It's so fun. And it's so surprising. Every minute is like a surprise. It's a real adventure. And it was uh, snappy. It was quick to read. It still feels like if you wanted a break from Steamheart, it feels weird to dive immediately right back in with Steamheart people. But then again, you didn't necessarily know that going in. So after Nightfall of the Wendigo, I move on to Panther Soul because I'm at this. I'm avoiding Uncivil Outlaw. I'm leaving it for last because again, at that point in the timeline, it was not like James and Abigail were characters I really had like a lot of fondness for. Mm-hmm. Um, they're good. Like none of the characters I don't like, but like if I were to like pick a character I wanted to a book to focus on, it's like if uh, the next Animorphs book is about Jake, it's like okay, I like Jake. But come on, there's a book about Tobias. He's a bird boy. <laughs> there's immediately so much more drama there. And that is what Panther Soul is. It's like, welcome back to the land of the cats. Here's some cat drama. Lots and lots of cat drama. <laughs> and that's catnip to us. Oh, and like I said earlier that um, I don't typically like Indiana Jones or Nathan Drake. So, uh, Kolo is Muhammad Ali. (laughs) So, I love him. He's amazing. I want to pet his fur. And that's all. No. 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 We all know that's not true, yes. Get in line. Moog is so fucking spooky. 
point, yeah. I had done the voice. Like, I had done the voice for um, the cat I played before right. the book. And getting back to my character and, like, everything with Star Dancer, one of the rare occasions where I did a proper, like, predictive reading mm. was when I realized about halfway through that Star Dancer is obviously going to be um, Hrow's missing child. Well done. I, uh, yeah. I, I didn't put that together until it was being told to me. <laughs> I put it together moments before. So yeah, it real there's a real build up to it. But like about halfway through, I'm like, this Star Dancer character was stolen at some point and is a tiger. Oh, I see where he's going with this. <laughs> it's so perfect. And it was yeah. so fucking perfect. When we get back to the village and she's washed the fucking spots off. And she meets her mom, and they actually recognize each other. They, yeah. they, they meet her mom. Their mom. It's okay. It's non-binary tigers. Non-binary tigers. Uh, <laughs> no, I think... I, I, so. I want to read it again. <laughs> also, thinking about something you were saying earlier, Alejandra, about missing details as a result of reading, I didn't actually read any of the books until Uncivil Outlaw, I had Alex made me listen to the audio drama, and that meant that a lot of those early details were better baked in. It caused it forced me to like slow down and actually notice a bunch of things, which is why I think the reveal of Rebecca in Steamheart was a bigger thing for me because I immediately like, oh, the dog's named Rafe. Wait a second, and then I hear Rebecca's voice, and I was like, oh. That definitely helps. Like, they meet a lady named Rebecca, and she has a dog. Neither of which are things that Rebecca from Let Them Go was, like, super known for. It's like, oh, she has a shotgun and a dog? Okay, that's specific. Her name's Rebecca? Yeah, that's a specific name. Rebecca's a really fucking common name. But then I remember <laughs> it's a um, book universe, not a real universe. <laughs> Honestly, it took me a moment to actually put together, like, one of the reveals in Castle of the Moon, because I was just like... Oh, Magwitch's son is called uh, James as well. That's a bit of a coincidence. Uh, like, makes me think of that. Okay, we're going to get to that second part in a minute. Save for the last. So Panther Soul was great. Um, and I, I've listened to the audio drama now, and you all are absolutely fucking right. Willow does an amazing job. Mm -hmm. 100%. Panther Soul was my favorite book in the series. And it, it beat out the fucking lesbians. It's just that good. <laughs> I mean, your favorite trilogy is Let Them Go, Castle, and then Nightfall, right? But, yeah, we'll uh, see how Planet of the Cats changes that. That's interesting. Because <laughs> mm. well, Pantasol is tough to beat. <laughs> it is. All right. Um, at this point, um, I mean... The, the concept of me not reading everything at this point is so fucking gone. Like, I'm I'm deeply invested at this mm -hmm. point. There have been three books that I love wholeheartedly without reservation. I'm in. I'm never leaving. You can't chase me away. Put the broom down. <laughs> 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 so I get into Uncivil Outlaw, which, again, I had some trepidations about. It allayed all of them. Cool. <laughs> Abby... The, from the moment she jumps out of that Zeppelin, I was so fucking on board with anything else she wanted to do in the rest of the story. I'm like, yes, thank you, Abigail. Using your chaos energy for good. <laughs> chaos. <laughs> um, James is like, his entire worldview is put to the test and it fails. Mm -hmm. Fucking finally. Talk and about take, knocking some ego out of that boy. 
if I recall correctly, you were apparently listening to the audio drama just the other day and found a certain part of that story very affecting. Oh, yeah. The sexy bits are very sexy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, I started this, this series with the most sexual one. Like, even more so than uh, Castle of the Moon, which yeah. has huh. absolutely fantastic setup, but the sex scene itself is kind of short. That's interesting. I I feel like the sex scene in Castle of the Moon was more affecting for me, maybe because the focus in Stone Spring was the romance, Look. but there's an it feels like there's an aspect to the sex in Castle of the Moon that is... Toby would be able to speak better on this in terms of, like, how sex is portrayed in the Castlevania series. In the games, not at all. Uh, but <laughs> in the show, um, Trevor and Sypha are naked together, and it's hot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then um, Alucard gets pegged by twins. Oh! That's a good time. Until it isn't. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. well, that's the thing, is that the but, sex... It can be sexy, no, but there's also talk. everyone. This is the best time to invoke this phrase: different strokes. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> is very sexy for two straight people hooking up. Let me just like put that out there. Very bit... hot straight people sex. I should have said this earlier, but like at the time, I did not give Alex this credit. But since Castle of the Moon, he is an honorary lesbian, as far as I'm concerned, because he 100% gets what lesbians find so hot about women. He gets it. Now, this might be sort of a miscomparison, I guess is the best way to frame it, but is that sort of speaking to the similar energy to, I remember in the podcast on the second Matrix film where the sex scene in that is described as the gayest uh, sex scene between a seemingly heteronormative couple that has ever been put to cinema. Is that the sort of energy I'm getting here? Kind of. Much more effective, though. <laughs> All right, uh, Uncivil Outlaw. Finishing up, great fight and chase scenes. Like, the mm, whole, like, mm. grinding pursuit of Mr. White. He is. He's just a fucking Terminator. Alex mm -hmm. fucking nailed what he was going for. The big punch-up fight at the end is so good. Yagana so finally gets some fucking, like, sit-down time with that bitch. <laughs> yeah. I've just suddenly thought, oh my goodness, I now need to take the Uncivil Outlaw audio segments, and I might do this myself. I'm going to take some of the narration of that, and when White is on the scene and just, like, stalking down Abigail. I'm just going to put the Prowler theme from Spider-Verse in. Just... <laughs> <laughs> it's a really fun book. Um, and I get to the end, and James does his betrayal. I feel really bad for him, but at the same time, because I've actually read ahead on this one, I don't feel as mad at him. Mm. I feel sorry, sort of like, at the inevitability of him having to make this fuck up in order for him to learn his lesson. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, like, I see in Nightfall of the Wendigo how much he's absolutely royally fucked up over it. So, again, yes. I mostly just feel sorry for him. But Krieger and his wife, like, after, like, in Nightfall, I was like, oh, these characters have gotten around and it's real obnoxious for them. But then I get to Uncivil Outlaw and I'm like, y'all fuckers threw Abby in a portal and just left? What? 
So I was actually legit a lot madder at them than James, because I'm like, James, like, I see the complexity of the character underneath. But for Krieger and his wife, I was just like, y'all were just being, like, really irresponsible. Just (laughs) messing up entire worlds. Well, time to hit the old dusty trail. (laughs) Oh, no, the consequences of our actions. Run away! (laughs) Smoke bomb. Um, and this is a this is a great time to bring up the fact that having Uncivil Outlaw be my last book before Back in Time plus Space, fantastic. Oh, oh it's a good lead-in. That's so good. That's such a good lead-in because, like, the closing bit is Abigail being like, "What the fuck is Nickelback?" <laughs> I'm like, "Well, thank God I'm gonna get answers on that." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We had to wait a year before we got answers on that because we were experiencing that whole thing in real time. The original book came out in like January of 2020 and Back in Time Plus Space came out in July of 2021. Oh my God, Toby's face. (laughs) I'm remembering the dilemma of it, but Greg, how fucking entitled are we sounding right now? Oh, we had to wait a year and a half to get answers <laughs> to that and have like, what, one, two, uh, like three, three books in between the book that raised the question and the book that got the answer. And we once again, let me just get the dead horse of George R.R. R. Martin on the table. Well, okay, let's be clear. If I hadn't been so, not torqued, but like, oh my God, I need to know what happens next. As a result of Uncivil Outlaw, I might not have DM'd you and say, hey, do you want to discuss Uncivil Outlaw? And you might not have said, hey, would you like to do a podcast instead? <laughs> yeah, it could be, could be a fun project for a couple of months. Oh, maybe. See. Yeah, this will keep I, us busy. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think that it's going to be life-changing for either of us. <laughs> Well, back in time plus space. Okay, we barely even like mentioned this in this podcast. I'm sure, but Alex's like movie references are not subtle. Like, yeah, they're right. not. Um, Ready Player uh, One. Ready Player One levels mm. of like in your fucking face. But like he's not. If you subtle. know, you know. Yeah. Yeah. He's mm. he's not trying to hide it with Merlane and the Nag specifically. They're doing it um, consciously. Like, they're doing it on purpose, especially the nag. So when the opening scene of Back in Time plus Space happens, you're like, okay. Yeah, I'm like, okay, the cover, this is this is going to be Back to the Future. I'm fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, God, what's what's the kid's name? I'm, I'm struggling. Charlie. Charlie. Charlie is so goddamn good. I, oh, is I am such a fantastic character. Minute one. I <laughs> am so looking forward to hearing Willow realize the character of Charlie because after what they did with Leah, it's definitely not wrong to say that Leah shares a number of similarities with Willow. Listen to the Behind the White Scarves episodes regarding what they and their parents say about some of those real-world experiences they drew on in order to craft Leah. But thanks to a proper modeling of both gender identity and the fact that Will will be able to voice Charlie through their own modern lens and idiom makes me really excited to hear that thrown up once we get to the audio drama. So this is going to be rock solid. I just, I just, I can't fucking wait. Charlie is so good, 
And it is really fascinating. Like, it, it is really well constructed as a time travel story. I know he got help from time travel experts. You can tell. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> there like, are the, charts. The initial, like, slight differences in the uh, timeline mm-hmm. that uh, you should notice immediately, like, hang on, Seth is dead. <laughs> <laughs> Like, that was, like, when I was reading that, I was doing my sort of, like, you know, play-by-play reactions, and I just had, like, when Seth shows up, a gif, it was like, we thought you were dead! (laughs) How are you not dead? So, like, um, we lose Abigail and James, and Charlie and the Doc are like, well, we gotta go, uh, we gotta go fix time! Oh, and and they're like that entire chapter is just like all of a sudden, okay, we're gonna insert some found footage in the middle (laughs) of our fucking time travel story <laughs> it's just like a time travel thing starts and it's like okay guys whatever we do we can't get into any shenanigans it's gonna mess things too bad and then the equivalent of a boss in the open world of elden ring shows up and just just like <laughs> welcome to the past <laughs> the true past begins now <laughs> So they go on this great adventure, and I'll be honest, like, the details of it is all, like, you're just waiting for them to do the one thing that's going to fix everything. And it is kind of set up well that, like, a part of the journey of them doing the one thing is actually them making ever so slight changes to this weird timeline B we've ended up in. So we Mm. can get back into the actual book timeline, which, again, is not wildly different. Harry and Penny are still a fucking thing. Mm-hmm. It's just like um like a half a second change in what happens between uh, where Harry is in timeline B and where she is in the books. Like, did she kill her father or did she let him go? It's not like she was planning to let Mr. White go in timeline A. <laughs> it's an excellent question that I hadn't considered. How do you find? Wait, you've read Uncivil Outlaw going into Back in Time plus Space. Yeah, it was the when, last book I'd read before yeah. Time in Space. The two Jeremys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> did you then remember, like, wait? I did. Yeah. I did remember that. That's one of the rare cases where, like, I really retained that detail. Um, yeah. And then there's, like, the whole, like, extra story of that one musician guy. It's fantastic. Um, so, like, the actual journey of Back in Time plus Space is really a lot more, like, bookkeeping, but in a similar way to, like, The Princess Thieves is just so fucking charming on the journey. Mm-hmm. Back in Time plus Space is really goddamn charming. So even though, like, large chunks of it are just sort of tinkering with story, you're so invested in Charlie. Charlie mm-hmm. is so fucking mm-hmm. good. And I enjoyed that one particular timeline where polyamory was the way of the day. Fuck yeah. you, Rasputin. <laughs> yeah, it's- Fuck that guy! (laughs) It confirmed Rasputin is not an ally. (laughs) It's hilarious because it's really good as this back to the future with new century. And it's also like, oh hey, this is the what if, but done with so much more consideration for this setup. And in the recording of all this, all our shows on it, it had become, and it still is, like, I say a meme, it comes from the heart. I adore Carl. Carl is, like, one of my favorite <laughs> characters. So when he came up and I was doing my play-by-play, I just did, uttered a guttural, Carl! 
<laughs> just leaping onto him and then finding out that he was in a relationship with Virgil. I was like, oh, like, I know this timeline sucks, but I'm so happy that at least somewhere they're together. <laughs> I don't remember. I'm pretty sure it came out first, but before Back in Time Plus Space came out, I'd become a huge fan uh, of Eldena Doublecast, who is well known for her lists of shipping for various media out there. And oh, I had, huh. I, yes, and I had come up with a bunch of them specifically for New Century, and I made a joke about the fact that Carl and Virgil should be in a relationship. And then Back in Time Plus Space comes out, I was like, oh my fucking God. <laughs> Do you still have those documents? I want to read oh, yeah. them again. <laughs> yeah, no, I still have them on Google Docs. I'll be more than happy to repost them. So absolutely. So uh, the end result of Back in Time and Splace is that Splace, it's kind of like my bottom tier favorite. Mm. Like basically, oh. there's a point where the books are entirely my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's only a couple books that I don't give five stars to. Mm-hmm. And even though Back in Time and Space is like one of the last ones to come out, mm-hmm. it's firmly in that my shit camp. And it somehow ranks the lowest of all of the my shit books. <laughs> I suspect, tell me if this is correct, if it's at the bottom of the my shit, it's because Back in Time plus Space requires the context of all the other books you love in order to make coherent sense. That is definitely part of it, but more so that Back in Time and Space is a long setup Mm. to a story that I desperately want, Mm. which is older Abigail having to deal and, like, talk to James, because he's got to come up with a hell of a good apology. Mm -hmm. Um, Charlie is going to meet their father, Gonna be fucking interesting. Rebecca is hanging with James now, so I've got some polyamory bells ringing <laughs> in my head. There is so much I'm ready for the story to do now that Back in Time Plus Space just kind of feels like a protracted intro. Mm. It's also quite amusing that because Rebecca is older than James by, I don't know, I want to say like, at least 10 years. years. Yeah. And I think that's now the sort of Abigail is a little older than that timeline wise. Yeah, she's or... she's getting near her 40s at this pace. Quick clarification. While I couldn't immediately find corroborating data in a quick scan of secret rooms, I believe based on what Alex has said that Abby and James are only a couple years apart in age back in that book. But it was 17 years, not 10, since James has seen Abigail. So, yes, Abby is now in her 40s in comparison with fresh-faced James. Not that it really matters, one way or another. Yes, maybe that's a double standard. But older women with younger men doesn't have the same connotations. And that's even assuming they get back together. We'll just have to wait and see. None of the characters are superficial. Like, we have seen that that is not a deal breaker for James. So just like, you know, Rebecca and uh, Abigail, these two comparatively older ladies and like... Rather you know, just... dominant personality types. Yeah. <laughs> and James is like, I deeply regret this. And yet this has worked out so well. <laughs> <laughs> he does have many apologies to make. 
but mm -hmm. he is not going to we're not we're not concerned that uh the attraction factor is going to lose its spark mm -hmm. so to say no. like obviously these characters are emotionally in timeline bound forever but we still expect them to go to pound town again at some point 100 <laughs> percent um, and, I just hope Charlie is somewhere else at the time because that is course. not something they need. <laughs> no, I can all of a sudden just picture Charlie just going, oh my God, will you just fuck? I'm going to go over here. <laughs> no, like, like. <laughs> Back in Time Plus Space is great. It does feel like an intro to further stories that I'm ready to fucking read. Yeah. Mm -hmm. just, and at I this point, I'm caught up. I'm caught up. I will never be Chaos Order again. Because how on earth could I? You think I'm going to wait to read these books? No. Mm. <laughs> so um, at this point, I'm caught up and I've read Castle of the Moon. Holy fucking shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. It's so good. It's so excellent. Like, I, I'm still surprised that Alex treats Rebecca being the main character as a spoiler. Did we not know that? I feel like I've always known that. <laughs> well, see, so okay, Rebecca is not on the cover. He was very cagey about whether this was going to be a sequel to Let Them Go or not, or even if Let Them Go was going to get a sequel. Originally, it was just going to be a standalone thing. And on top of that, there was a point when he was saying, I'm going to write a vampire book, where he specifically said, this is not going to be connected to New Century. This is going to be its own thing. And I don't know if he was lying about that or not. If he I was just he changed his mind. Yes, yes. I think I think he did change his mind based on some of the things that he said later on about how Castle of the Moon came to be. So trust Alex, but don't trust him too much. Yeah. Yeah. I love that we're introduced to Magwitch and Brea on the train. Mm. That's so, like, that's such a Poirot thing to happen. Yes, I actually <laughs> mentioned that at the time. It was that the beginning of that whole story, after we get past the, what's it called, the the uh, legendary entry. Oh, where, yeah, 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 the, the backstory getting, you know, for Sylvania. And, and, and Rebecca talking about, okay, this is what it was like in... Bucharest, I think it was. Yeah. And then she yeah. gets on the train and she meets And she meets people. these obvious anime spiked hair protagonists <laughs> come walking down the train. <laughs> it's and then like, just oh, like, you two stink of adventure. <laughs> and then it's just like Poro is like, would you like to have a little bit of my cake and everything? So, yeah. <laughs> oh, I did not make that comparison until you just said that. <laughs> uh, and it, uh, so we got Magwitch, we got Brea. Brea's fantastic. Mm. Love her. Uh, Alex set himself the task of writing an interesting child vampire, which is a category with some stiff competition. Yeah. He fucking nailed it. <laughs> and it's also one that, like, you know, is tread carefully because it's like, oh, this is always hard to manage. Like, when it, you do it well, it's they have fantastic. The, they have a child's body and they're 170 years old. That sounds like some animes you shouldn't watch. Yes, it does. Ah, <laughs> oh, second anime comparison this time. <laughs> God, I, I hadn't actually thought of that, is that in this particular case, okay, if you're going to have a child vampire, how do you address the, the elephant in the room? Make them Catholic. Okay. Ah! <laughs> 
Perfect. So, Magwitch, Toby, you're absolutely right. The bit where Magwitch says, what if you go to hell? Then they'll probably have work for me down there. That's uh, even I was like, yep, that's that's like a cool action man line and a very oh my good one. God, he's so goddamn cool. <laughs> um, they have to fight off some fucking Wendigos before they even get to the castle. It's like, mm -hmm. yeah, you whip them off, whip them off. I love the bit. Where like we Rebecca walks us through like the process of tricking a Wendigo into dodging her gunshot wrong. Mm -hmm. It's such oh. like a great chess match. Or it, it's, it's like it's, the context of a gunfight. And it's very cinematic too. Also, I will add, now that I I haven't like actually played it because <laughs> I suck at these kinds of games. Bloodborne. But now that I've no no not Bloodborne. Now now that I've seen the opening to Rondo of Blood and Symphony of the Night, where it opens specifically with a fight scene on a stagecoach. Uh, that makes that whole scene be like, oh, okay, I get what they're doing now. I get it. <laughs> and I I was quite chuffed with myself when, as I was doing my play-by-play, -play, and there was the uh, fight at the end of, like, final form Sylviana and then... and. That angel shitbag that we all have. Yeah, a fucking um, archangel with a sword of fire. Holy shit. Fuck him. And like, I have never, like, there are some pieces of shit in New Century. It, this one, when I was reading it, I was literally, like, just trying to sort of grab my screen I was reading the book on and go, like, fuck him up. <laughs> like, but what I would say of just, like, the sort of, like, cataclysmic clashes and the sort of arcing around this arena that they were in i was like this just feels like the sort of final boss in demon souls or just like a from soft boss fight at one point or like you know in elden ring the sort of legendary match between whatever, millennia whatever. <laughs> and radan and all of that yeah. and it's like alex then said like yep yeah, that was kind of the energy I was trying to channel. And then he said, like, that's kind of why I've been playing the FromSoft games. And it's like, oh, son of a bitch, Alejandro. We've been duped. <laughs> We've been duped. Sylvania is so good. Her backstory is heartbreaking. When she gets seduced by the mirror man, it's so fucking hot. And then she seduces Rebecca and it's so fucking hot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> In terms of, like, the adventure... It kind of stops early. Like, they run away from the uh, the Wendigos, and then they get to the castle, and their going places and doing stuff is mostly done. Like, yeah. it's a surprising amount of, like, what starts out kind of action-heavy becomes just characters in a castle, like, considering things. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's really fucking good considering things. Yes, it <laughs> yeah. is. That's the element of, like, the format of it most reminded me of the Castlevania Netflix show, because... So much, especially like season two, like obviously the polyamorous trio of... Alucard, um, Trevor, and Sypha. Yeah, we love those three. There's a lot of adventure and action with them, but you sort of keep checking in with the vampires and Dracula's war and everything. Who are and so just much, bickering little shits. They <laughs> are, and it's just everyone is having conversations and it's ruminating on things and it feels like th that side of the show is in full force here and, uh, you know, I've talked about what I love uh, with, I think my favourite scene in that entire show is on the boat with the captain and uh, 
the character who was so much better in the series than he was in the game. I forget. Uh, Isaac. Isaac, yes. That thing where it's like humanity's soul is on trial. Like, that's what I feel with that book. And it's. Oh, and you two uh, picked up that Magwitch was Seth way before I did. Oh yeah, when did you, yeah? Because like you guys you? were you guys were on that trail the moment we got like a flashback to him, which kind of happens in like the middle of the book, whereas I didn't notice until very late game. You have caught up at this point. You had yeah. seen all of New Century, so you were working with the same evidence as us. But at the same time, I think it, I, and I, I, you haven't. I don't know if you've heard part one of our discussion of Castle of the Moon yet. But it was relatively early when I was seeing, I think it was in part two, but it was early part two, where Magwitch was describing specifically, or maybe it was late part one when he was talking to Rebecca, Rebecca. explaining how being bitten by the bar guest affected him. And I was thinking to myself, that sounds a lot like how we know Seth interact with the virus, What's the likelihood <laughs> that this isn't the same person? Because that seems a little bit, and it c gets back to that quote from uh, Deep Space Nine. I believe in coincidences. Coincidences happen every day, but I don't trust coincidences. Ah, uh, plain, simple Garrick the Tailor. Yes. <laughs> um, uh. Brea is so good. Like, it's so mm. sad we're not going to get more of her. Because she's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Like, a, a true believer Catholic vampire? What a fucking pitch package for starters. Mm -hmm. And I, then she's so well written. <laughs> that's the thing that I was like, okay, how do you... There's always a challenge, I think, in this day and age whenever you want to do your vampire fiction. It's like, okay, what's your approach? What's your angle? And, you know, Sarah and I really enjoyed the What We Do in the Shadows TV series in addition to the film and the variety of ways that they interpret and approach that. And with this, it's just like, I don't know if I've ever really thought of that. And mm -hmm. the closest comparison I could draw, and I had meant to bring it up during our first recording session on Castle of the Moon, but during the Chaos show was our best excuse to fit in more Castle of the Moon reaction time when bringing mm -hmm. in a third accomplice into the mix. But uh, the closest comparison I can bring was this anime series that Mother's Basement recommended called Shiki, I think. Like, I wasn't really particularly as impressed with it, but there was some cool ideas of it, and it was neat to see, like, an anime in a very explicitly Japanese setting that is looking at vampires with a lot of, like, new ideas to the table, and it's this story of just the this entire closed-off community falling to them. Very, well, uh, anyway, I'm going off topic. There's one character who is turned into a vampire and put in a room with someone, a victim, and she is told, you're a vampire now, you have to kill this person and drink their blood to survive. And this person is, like, a nurse or someone in, like, a medical profession, and she just chooses not to. She's like, I'm not going to continue this existence. Like, she chooses death. And it's not like an, an immediate thing. She doesn't just jump into sunlight or anything. She is in a locked room. And the person who is a friend of hers who is saying, please, you have to do this. But it's not 
he's doing it not only to get her to survive he is ridden with guilt and he has told himself this entire time that he has had to do the things he's done because anyone in that situation when you're that hungry just gives into it but he is confronted with evidence that that is not the truth that someone if they have a strong enough will will just choose their own code of ethics and i think the ending choice of bria is so excellent because mm-hmm. not not the choice of whether to kill a fucking baby or stay a vampire that's no. not the real choice the real choice she makes is to dive deeper into the castle and find out what is happening. Yes. Like it's so it's it reminds me of the end of The Cabin in the Woods and the end of Matrix right. 2 where mm. a character is presented with a binary choice and they have to decide given some evidence that if they don't pick this they're going to cause great harm. They have to choose to not believe the person telling them that. They have to choose to, like, not just take the word of this person who might be manipulating them. And, and uh, they choose something that possibly does harm, proceeds to cause harm. But it's I, fucking worth it because you're changing the rules. Yes, <laughs> the book sets that up specifically in the middle of the story where Brea says... She doesn't have to lie to us. She's just confident we won't ask the right questions. <laughs> and Alejandra's shaking her finger at me going, yes. Toby's yes. shaking his fist. We're, we're, all we're very invested. We are. And what I was going to say with great enthusiasm, as if we haven't been doing that already, is <laughs> that I love any story that does exactly what you're talking about, Alejandra. That is like a character gives you a binary choice and the character who needs to make it doesn't accept that because so much of people's like online engagement with media takes things as they are presented to them and assumes that when a character says a thing, that's the author saying, here's the rules of this scenario. So whenever a character does something that doesn't seem like the outcome that that reader's perspective says, well, this is the logical outcome. And all those like think pieces and videos of this character was right. This character caused everything that went wrong in Infinity War or some bullshit like that. It's like, no, you are thinking too much inside the box. And here's how we bring it full circle. We reject the box. Embrace chaos. Yes. I was going to say, this is the reason why Alejandra loves Brea. Because be like, you have to do this or you have to do this. And Brea goes, I choose chaos. Well, no, Brea, by all accounts, I have very little in common with her. Just as a person being like a hardcore Catholic, can't relate. And like, man, I'm just so on board with her final choice. It is a choice somewhat born of desperation. Like, Mm -hmm. she's just been given terrible choices. Mm-hmm. And she is hungry and maybe not thinking super clearly. But that doesn't change the fact that she chose to seek answers. Like, she could have just fucking left. Yeah. She could have been like, oh, well, I guess I'll take the fancy carriage. Thanks. Bye, friends. She could have done that. It would have fucking sucked, but she could have. But no, she refused. She's like, uh-uh, that, that, that sucks. I'm going to, you, you're hiding something. I can tell. <laughs> 
a sentence that has haunted me since reading it is Alex finally getting to do his uh, that's my secret cap, I'm always angry, but it's so much sadder. You would think that this would get easier as time goes on, but you know what? And the angel in an out of characteristic moment, it just says like, yeah, sure, tell me why, like not really caring, just trying to tell this creature whatever it wants to hear so it can just keep doing the task. But Brea is just admitting something that she's carried that it gets harder every year. And I just like get, oh, at different moments. And there's when like I- a crazy sword fight and it's, oh my God. And like the, like the just little couple flashbacks, we get to the one hot lesbian vampire with the giant fuck off sword. It's like, oh, we have Berserk references now. I'm so into this. <laughs> yeah. It's just like... Like, okay. does Alex know anything about Berserk? Probably not. It should stay that way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, Berserk just is sort of influenced so much that it's like, if you're inspired by something else, odds are that that was inspired by Berserk in some way, because, like, Artorius in uh, Dark Souls 1, Driga in Castlevania with the, like, the day armor, all of that is just like, hey, you want some berserk kids? (laughs) Well, I mean, that's, when you're looking at New Century in general, you like, you want something that's inspired by something else, you can fill the amount of things that have inspired New Century, you can fill a swimming pool with that guy. You really fucking could. Um... (laughs) I'm super into Sylvania as the super hot, tall redhead. I love the ending notes from Manderley where she's Sundere vampire mom. It's like, I'm going to eat this baby Eh, tomorrow. (laughs) Manderley is like the one character who feels like a sort of wait till later character. We'll we'll see what their deal will be later. I'm so ready for her to come back. Okay. Like, here's the thing. If we didn't have those notes at the end of the book, I would be way less confident that she's coming back. Like, mm-hmm. it would obviously be an option because, like, the castle fell over and we didn't see Manderley for, like, a long time before the castle fell over. It's mm-hmm. completely reasonable that Manderley escaped and could be seen in later books. But mm-hmm. the addition of those notes means that Manderley had character development after this story? No way Alex is wasting that. <laughs> I mean, I think it also, like, helps with the weight of the story because Castle of the Moon is such a tragedy and Rebecca's epilogue only gives us a little bit of hope. Like, we know where her story ends up, but emotionally, we're fucking drained after what happens with Castle of the Moon. And if it was just Rebecca, then it would have given a small amount of respite at the end, a small amount of catharsis at the end much like Let Them Go did, and that would be thematically consistent. And then you get the epilogue with Manderley, and we're just like, oh, okay, here's inject a little bit of humor into the end of this. Thank you. You, pe- Thank you. you piece of shit, kid. I'll eat you tonight. I swear to God I will. <laughs> yes, mommy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, we're, we're at the end of this long-ass journey, and I do want to say that Alex has gone out of his way to make as many of these books a decent starting point as possible. Mm. And I would say he has succeeded. Not every book, especially in phase two, is a good place to start. Don't start with Steamheart. Don't do that. Don't hurt yourself like that. (laughs) 
don't start with back in time plus space. That's probably the most. Don't start with that one either. <laughs> That's a bad idea. I know Any book made... you want to start with from phase one, anyone that looks like your potential favorite, fucking do it. Even some of the ones from phase two are a good place to start. Panther Soul and uh, Stone Spring Maidens are all right places to start. Hell, I'd even say Uncivil Outlaw isn't a bad starting point. Mm. Interesting. Okay. It, I think that what this exercise has just helped to articulate is that we can talk about in this day and age sort of interconnectivity and lore and things like that. But how many times when you were a kid did you get a book that you thought looked cool and you then realized it was a part of a series and it wasn't the first one and you read through it and then you were really into it and you went back and did all of that? Animorphs. We, yeah. <laughs> We've forgotten that that's in us. We've forgotten that sometimes we have to actually, rather than see everything as a sort of time committal project, that it's, it's just like... It's a what, task. Yeah. What do you want to read? Like, you could start with the Resident Evil uh, in the British countryside if you want to, and that's a really good one. You could start with tigers and cats and then discover something about yourself. Go with as... Assassin's Creed Syndicate. I don't fucking know. Yeah. <laughs> or you could start with New York, but it's all overridden with, like, fauna and flora and all of that stuff. And, hey, there's also all this sort of new species and there's conflict within it and there's people who are carrying a lot of shit and they're working through it. Does that sound like your bag of chips? Go for it. What you want is to find something that stimulates you you want something that excites you because then anything else that may sort of like not really be your thing like i think for you alejandro it sounds like arlington was your biggest sort of let me put the time in to make this happen book and i think that's the best thing to do is to look at some covers ask around if you've got some people like us who enjoy these books and just kind of, like, have fun with it, because that's ultimately what we're here for, is to have fun and be devastated by these stories. Yeah, especially at the point we're at where we're on book 14. Mm. Do not treat this like a task, a checklist, a, well, I gotta read all of them now. It's like, no, get invested first. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you have a really good time with one of them and then you don't read any of the others... That's fine, too. You've got to read something that you're really engaged with. And odds are, one of these 14 books is going to be really your thing. And it will just really click. Just thinking to myself, does that mean that I actually made it unnecessarily hard on myself? That I started my new century journey with the genre that I have the most difficulty with, horror? But Yes. <laughs> But the yeah, fact that you it, should have started with Arlington, you know, yeah, I, I can I can definitely see where you would say that. But I think the fact that I reacted to let them go as well as I did was already a sign of, OK, if you can get me on board with this, that's going to be a sign that I'm going to like everything else that comes afterwards. So Beowulf, famous for killing the Grundle, asks What's the correct order to read the Witcher books in There's Conflicting Opinions? I, I don't see why. It's pretty straightforward. Start with The Last Wish. I know it wasn't published first, but, you know, you start there, and then you move on to Sword of Destiny, A Feast for Crows, 
the wise man's fear, spell for chameleon, the book of Jerig, the Cimmerillion, and the phantom menace. Have fun figuring out that connected universe, nerds. All right. Before we wrap up, the one thing that I wanted you to have a chance to voice on is that I know that you felt frustrated with the ending of Castle of the Moon. So, Alejandro, would you please get into why it bugged you? It's just a, it's just a me thing. Um, characters, uh, characters and their memories mm. are things that I take very seriously. It's sort of like a sanctity of the self kind of mm. thing. Like, if you give up your memories, you give up part of who you are. And um, that should not be done lightly. Mm. And boy, does Magwitch start to do it pretty fucking lightly. <laughs> like, what? I mean, he seemed like... It's like Yagana got him with his first hit. It's like, I'll make you a better person. Here, give me your memories. And then he's just like, that worked out great the first time. I should do it again. It's like, did it, did it, man, did it. <laughs> Dude min-maxes his grief. <laughs> so Rebecca giving up her memories is... I'm going to have to reread it because I'm not even like clear as to why like the other characters were like, yeah, we're going to have to take her memories too. It's like, you just forgot about Manderley. <laughs> it's like, I think, that, I think the that they thought that she was that dead. No one can remember this. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if Yagana was like, I can probably see that Seth is going to be important going forward. I think I'm going to get take the info of how this particular fellow came to be what he is to myself because that feels like something I'm going to enjoy having possession of. <laughs> oh, okay, so I think there's a Doyleist explanation and a Watsonian explanation. Uh, there's, of as... course, like, there's a real reason. is because, like, why would Rebecca not remember everything? Like, Yeah, that once the guy on the manticore showed up, she would have been like, yo, I know that guy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Spider-Man but... point, just... <laughs> but here, here's, the, here's the thing to consider. Rebecca having to give up her memory wasn't something that she came up with and wasn't something that Yagana came up with. That was an ultimatum from Seth, from Magwitch. Mm -hmm. she said, he, he says, you have to do this too. And considering the whole experience of like, okay, if I don't agree to this, what the fuck is Magwitch going to do? He's already threatened genocide. It felt like Rebecca was kind of put into a no-win situation here. But why does Magwitch demand that? I guess it's because he doesn't the want Rebecca to remind him. He's yes. tying off loose ends. He doesn't want like someone to like if he's doing all of this to take the memories away. He doesn't want like someone to let that go. And yeah, you know, and that makes sense. Although it is very like thorough of Magwitch for like a guy who doesn't really know magic like he's involved with a lot of magic but it's really not like his specialty he contracts that out <laughs> I think it's a reflection of who he is as a person though because we've already had many experiences with this Seth up to this point where we see that he is the kind of person that dictates terms and I suspect Vincent Penrose was the same way. Kind of a so. shit dad, maybe. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> we know he's a shit dad. Like, <laughs> he kills his son in one timeline. 
Mm. I mean, he yeah. doesn't. He doesn't remember his time at this point. Hey, um, oh, 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 yeah, no, like, like that makes it less horrible. That like, I mean, it's still the result of his choices. So, <laughs> so I mean, Rebecca having to give up her memories of the adventure is just sort of like a violation of her personhood that kind of set me off. But on the flip side, I love the note she left for herself, where she's like, "Look, I can't give you details, but I promise you, you win on a character arc." <laughs> Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's the ending is very Eleanor Shellstrop sending a message to herself in the future, but also kind of like seeing Magwitch's personal arc and that he's running away from his memory. So she's like, okay, I need to inoculate myself against this. Hey, Rebecca, I know you can't remember what happened. Don't pursue this, but please stop running away from the memory of your past. You have to run towards something now. Otherwise, you're going to end up just like this person I can't tell you about. <laughs> Trust me, it's bad. <laughs> it works. It, it, yes. it works as an ending. It just kind of sets off like an emotional ping for me. Okay. And I had yeah. to mention it. As someone that got an emotional ping set off from a different book, I can totally understand that. Heck, like, I'm actually going to be having a sort of similar conversation tomorrow with Greg, because when we're talking about uh, uh, spiders to men, there's like parts of that story where it's sort of like, okay, this character makes total sense for the story and they bring in a lot, but like, I can't help but think of like them as a person. And if I was just inhabiting this space, living alongside these characters, I would just want to be like held back from just going off on this person saying, nothing about you makes sense and you are full of shit. Like that is <laughs> like, that is all I can think of. Like you, you're not screaming at a character to be more logical because the author is being illogical. No, right. you're doing it because you're imagining them as a real person next to you that you just want to whack. <laughs> right, and that's not to say that the person is like, oh, people aren't like that. Of course people are like that. But, like, you know, we believe in these worlds. We buy into these worlds. So when there's a piece of shit who exists alongside, like... The characters we like. <laughs> characters we like and characters we see we have seen evidence that people can be fully dimensional fully fleshed out and then someone makes something that just like it's may not like necessarily be illogical because it makes sense to their own logic whether it's warped or not but you can't help but just go like fuck you no <laughs> you have made a bad choice character how dare you i'm gonna yeah. tell dad <laughs> <laughs> i don't care <laughs> So I'm super fucking hyped for more of these books. I'm so pissed that Alex has gotten me invested in Crystal Punks. I'm super fucking invested in that book, and it's not out for years. I mean, uh, enjoy your, the ride. Your, ah. your research, your your preparation, isn't that a good thing that you get to be to, to influence a future book of New Century? Of course that's so cool and amazing. Of course that's wonderful. But I'm not talking as a, a creative right now. I'm talking as a fan of these books. And I want Crystal Punks in front of me right the fuck now. Absolutely. <laughs> Someone I bring me the DeLorean. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Like That's, that's totally it as well. Because I was so... Castle of the Moon was the one that I was the most excited about. Like, I'm excited about every new century. This one, it was like, you son of a bitch, I'm in. I, as soon as he had the idea for this, and I've known about other new century books that 
are further down the line and I'm excited about them, but Castle of the Moon, I was like, yes, yes, that, please give it, give it, give it. <laughs> tall, vampy mommy, tall, vampy mommy. <laughs> okay, Alejandra, quick check out the window as a Ford Explorer appeared. No. Okay. <laughs> Damn it. All right. Damn it. All right. <laughs> Let us wrap this up because this has been an absolute delight. It has it's been an absolute been an delight. Adventure. Yes. <laughs> also, Alex apparently just posted a spoiler picture in the new century thread, which is fucking hilarious. Apparently, it's a screenshot from Castlevania. That is Castlevania: Ari of Sorrow. Ah, okay. Yeah. The yeah, last yeah. of the GBA titles. <laughs> well, oh, how nice! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Alejandra, thank you for a wacky recording session. This is going to be so much fun to edit. I think it goes without saying that we're going to find many opportunities to bring you back in some capacity, whether it's discussing New Century or it's discussing something else. But thank you so much for once again lending your voice to our little project. Well, you look so happy. <laughs> uh, Y'all are so welcome. It's absolutely been a wild ride. Obviously, oh. I am really <laughs> a fan <laughs> Of these books. <laughs> the, for, the, for the listener, what you're hearing is, is the entire of New Century slamming down onto Alejandra's desk. <laughs> I'm so glad to know these exist. Uh, this has been a wild journey. I'm going to buy two of these for my boyfriend for Christmas. Woo! He's going he's gonna to get Let Them Go and Castle of the Moon in a box. Oh, dear. <laughs> Oh, that sounds very self-serving because after Castle of the Moon, I feel like there's going to be some uh, activities. If only, if only. He's on the West Coast. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, it's a good idea to like send him like a few at a time because then he can have the experience of opening many boxes. I mean, I do believe I uh, he read my copy of Stone Spring while he was Ah, uh, okay. So yeah, yeah. he's not like a complete newbie, mm -hmm. but Let Them Go and Castle of the Moon are gonna be so his shit. She mm. loves to read like YA novels just based on like the batshit premises they come up with. Mm -hmm. ah. And does kind of get frustrated with how like sexless a bunch of them end up being. <laughs> Certain uh, settings, it's just sort of like, you know, Resident Evil, like the fandom has sort of imploded with sexual tension because it's just like you keep putting these himbos and these other characters. So like people just get weird with it. And I remember being very frustrated with the Hunger Games going like, why are these kids not fucking? I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> Because the target audience is like 15. Okay. <laughs> I, I just meant that, well, okay. The fact that the target audience, but it just feels unrealistic to how teenagers act. Yeah. But I, they're usually kind of horny. Yeah. <laughs> All right. First time, first time. First time. <laughs> yeah. All I can think of is just that image that I think you've posted or someone on the post uh, Discord has posted, which is like, you know, computers, stop telling me that desperate sluts are in my area. I have a mirror. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I you have to get ready to go. Um, this has been delightful. We should really stop this because we're over two hours. What the fuck? It's, it's okay. This, is... this was wrap up. But yes, I know that you have uh, a thing you have to get to. Yeah. So. Once more, Alejandra, thank you. 
We look forward to more. Bye. Thanks for making it to the end. Coming up, there will be more discussion on Spider-Man Proving Grounds. And we will finally, finally get back to Steamheart and wrap that up before the end of the year. More discussion on Castle of the Moon will wait because Toby has some rereading of other new century novels first. Until then, well, there's only one place that can take us, right? The mashup that no one asked for. Chaos! Oh yeah! Reese's Puff, Reese's Puff, eat them up, eat them up. Eat them up, 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 eat them up